So how did I end up with a sermon about bread? Um, for those of you who know me, I have a bit of a reputation around food. Um, and ironically, this week, as I prepare this sermon, I've been off my food. And that's a really uncomfortable place for me. Um, it's pretty typical, really, as I, as I come to prepare something like this, you do... You do tend to find that the, the spiritual warfare um, comes about and, and there are challenges in, in life that stop you from really uh, feeling like you're, you're, you're getting to where you need to be. Um, so I hope, I hope that something of what I say to you um, resonates and, and is useful. There's been a lot of change in my life of late. Um, I suppose... Uh, unquestionably, uh, a 16-week-old baby is going to move things around a little. And um, uh, on top of that, I'm, I'm doing a different role at work. So I'm now a um, an area manager for the co-op, um, and I've gone from having a comfortable store, which I managed for several years, to having 23 shops to look after as I drive up and down the Fylde Coast and into Morecambe Bay and Lancaster and a little bit into North Yorkshire. So um, uh, there's, there's been considerable change. And with that change, I've lost a lot of discipline in my life. And now, mainly that's because I've, I've got to prioritise Noah. And uh, Noah tells us what he needs and when he wants it by way of crying. And... Um, I'm sure this is quite strange for him to listen to me now, and we'll see how he gets on. But I remember um, a couple of weeks back, I couldn't sit through the, the sermon because he wouldn't let me. It's great sometimes just to be given one line to focus on. Um, you'd think that that would help you, that it would become more direct um, and more to the point, what you're going to say. But in reality, that's not always the case. In reality... It's not that simple. How much do you think is written about this fourth petition to God? This simple request for daily bread? Far too much is the answer. And I don't mean to belittle um, anyone's hard work. Um, a lot of the, the, the writings are born out of painstaking research and these are extremely learned and dedicated people. But there is a potential to look so deep into a subject that you miss the point entirely. Miriam, my wife, as many of you know, is a secondary school teacher, and she's a scary one at that. <laughs> she teaches English in its various forms, and she loves Shakespeare. I am also a fan of Shakespeare, and like many of you here, you will have studied the Great Bard at school. Uh, we love going to plays and, and watching Shakespeare and, and listening to some of the, the remarkable work that he's done, and your brain finds a way of adjusting to the language, and you start and get into the theme of what he's saying, and, and, and you, you, you go along with the flow. But I do think that sometimes when you read some of the, the commentary on his work, and, and certainly when I've studied it at school, uh, 
I have difficulty with, with some of the fantastical theory and, 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 people that, and the things that people draw out of it. My English teacher uh, told me that at A-level, that the sure way to secure a top mark was to think of something completely original. <laughs> Indeed, the premise of, of higher educational success um, around, around the world is for the discovery of something. To, to add something to one's field, if you like. Uh, in medicine and in technology, it, it's obvious sometimes where, where that advancement comes and how important it is. But there comes a point where you have to admit, I think, that you're going too far or you're, you're taking, taking it too abstract. Othello was a particular favorite play of mine at school. Um, for me, it was simply a, a play about race and jealousy. But, but when you look at the commentaries, they, they, they bring some fantastic themes like homosexuality and, and all sorts into that. And, and it really didn't add anything to, to understanding what that play was all about. His, his tales were great, and no doubt they had some hidden agenda, but I can't help but think that if Shakespeare was, was here now to, to look at some of the things that were written about his work, he would feel that they were stupid. <laughs> I wonder then how God feels about our commentaries on the Holy Bible, our holy book. I often wonder how useful some of it really is. In truth, you will all, one way or another, get different things out of how you approach your reflection on the Lord's Prayer, particularly on this, uh, this line, give us this day our daily bread. I, for my part in this and, and what I bring today, can only share what stands out to me. And I hope that my uncomplicated uh, delivery um, is useful. Give us this day our daily bread. So having set this up, what am I going to say? This happened last time. So on this slide, it's a very busy slide. Um, <laughs> on this slide, it did say, I promise you, um, why and what bread? So looking at, at what we're actually praying about. The personal element of this, of this petition, this fourth petition to God and the practical and plural importance of it in our lives as Christians. Apologies to anyone who's had or missed, um, sorry, missed breakfast this morning. Uh, my pictures may well leave your tummies grumbling. Um, so the first three petitions focus on God and his supernatural, celestial nature, if you like. And we've heard that the calling over the last couple of weeks has been to dedicate ourselves to God's cause and submit to his will. And apparently, in order to accomplish this, we need to pray for bread. So what are we actually praying for here? There's an awful lot of bread in the Bible. Most of it is bread for eating. A lot of it is miraculous bread. Some of it is symbolic bread. And there's also our spiritual bread, as Jesus, the bread of life, in John 6, 35. <laughs> my, 
You can just smell it, can't you? <laughs> My plea to you is not to overcomplicate it. Obviously, to, to be too simple and too literal, we're not, we're not praying for more and more bread. But bread is amazing. It's versatile, and it comes in lots of different forms. There's the tin loaf. There's the bloomer. There's the cob, the bap, or the tea cake, depending on which regional dialect you want to, uh, to go into. You can even have a current one, apparently. It's crazy. There's the stotty, the pitta, the rye, the soda, the ciabatta, the brown, the whole meal. <laughs> Not yet. Still, it's still on milk, I promise. Um, seeded, soya, garlic bread. And my particular favorite, which is tiger bread. <laughs> but to take this, this plea, this, this petition to its literal end, would be to have bread every day forever. That's not what God wants for us. God is inviting us to pray for our needs. Much like the variety of bread, the variety of need is vast. So what should we pray for? It's a personal question. And it naturally leads you on to that question around answering prayer and that complex timing that God has. The truth is that, that we don't deserve a crumb. We are not worthy to demand of God anything. And that's the, the basis from which we should start to bring this petition to God. All of this is by invitation. God wants us to commune with him, to have a real relationship. God is our maker and our provider. God expects us to need him. How well do you perform when you are hungry? What about when you're tired? Believe me, the worst place you can sit is next to Miriam when she's either hungry or tired. <laughs> and I have learned in my, in my short marriage with her so far that after seven years, the best way to keep Miriam happy is to keep her both fed and slept. <laughs> Noah's not playing this game. In honesty, Noah's really good, and I'm not going to boast, but you can come and ask me how well he slept last night after God wants us to be at our best when we're at our best we're, we're most effective we're the best versions of ourselves for God for that we need to pray to be sustained once we're sustained and prepared we can act this fourth petition is the earthly anchor of this prayer and highlights our dependence on God. It's our dependence on God for everything. God provides so that we can do. This petition is personal. Each of you out of that list of, of bread that I gave will have a, a favorite. Um, I think the majority is on tiger bread. It was, it was a good rumble when I said it. 
So how do we define a need? And I studied economics uh, at university. Um, some of it I understood, most of it I didn't. Um, but some of it stuck. And uh, apologies to any, any learned people who have studied economics, but I've simplified needs into three different categories. Necessities, comforts, and luxuries. Necessities are things like food, water, air. Sorry, that's a free good, but complicated. Further discussion. Sleep, shelter, etc. Comforts are things like sofas, TVs. That used to be a luxury, but again, things change. Mobile phones, central heating, cars, etc. Luxuries are everything on my wish list, which are things like yachts, supercars, <laughs> private planes, mansions, exotic holidays. Sometimes you can, you can really blur these lines, but you get the idea. And for me, this petition is concerned primarily with our necessities, our personal necessities. Why should God give us any more than what we need day to day? For everyone, these needs are different. The biggest way to, to illustrate this is, is the comparison between Western necessities and those necessities of the developing world. We've heard about Aleppo this morning in, in prayer that's just had its water cut off through a bomb. For us, to, to go without water seems unimaginable. And it doesn't form part of our need. But for other people, that need will be very, very real. Western necessities might be classed as other world's luxuries, gas, electric, cars, phones. How privileged are we? Thinking about personal need got me uh, thinking about um, a colleague of mine, Philip. And I want to share a, st a story with you. My, I mentioned earlier, my role has changed at work. Um, so I found myself at a leadership conference in Manchester where the co-op took over the Mercure Hotel. And I was in a large conference room with uh, maybe 300 senior leaders from the co-op. And we went through two days of um, talking about where we're going, uh, how things are, etc. Um, and the first day was very tell, 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 tell. Um, something I'm not used to, being in a store environment. I'm filling shelves and talking to customers. And, and it, was, it was quite draining for me to be in that environment for so many hours, just, just absorbing. So when they announced there was going to be a free bar and free food, Later on, you can imagine the relief in the room. Before, before we did the, the, the food in the evening, um, we had a challenge of doing a, a little engagement piece where we had to split ourselves into teams of eight. Now, we managed to secure a team of six. I think my boss isn't particularly popular amongst other people, so we, we couldn't get any more than six. Which meant, as we... As we, as we sat down to eat, we had a couple of spare chairs on our table, one of which the CEO for our business decided he would sit on. So our dinner as a team together turned into a very different scenario. And um, 
naturally the, the gears started to click into the schmooze element of it. And, and there's a guy sat on your table who you know holds the future of your career in his hands. If you can just say that one thing, that one soundbite that resonates with him, he'll remember you and that means you'll get a promotion and then the next promotion and then, oh, it's brilliant. So that, that environment started to take place on our table and everyone was trying to get there little bit in, trying to remember what they'd heard through the day and, and recall it, something that he'd said that was important so that they could prove they were listening. Sat next to me was Philip, and Philip started talking to me about his daughter. Philip's daughter is 16 years old. She's got a brain tumour. She was diagnosed with this brain tumour at two, although potentially she's had it since birth. At 16 years old, she's been on 12 years borrowed time. For 12 years, day after day, clinically, that family have been told she should be dead. She has the mental age of a four-year-old, and she's completely dependent on her family and the people around her. Philip started to share with me in deep detail some of the issues that that he was facing, some of the, the family conflict that this had brought about. And he started to share some spiritual conflict with me as well. He started to talk to me about how he had a faith before this happened, and that now he thinks that the devil's trying to kill him. I sat and listened probably for an hour and a half, but at no point did I mention that I was a Christian because I didn't feel equipped for the conversation that would have followed, because I knew how angry he was. I felt really guilty. I looked across the table at my big boss and th thought to myself, I should be having those conversations. But I sat and I listened. The conflict inside of me, my need, I couldn't understand. I can't imagine the conflict going through Philip's head. Sometimes it's really easy to thank God, but it's not always easy. Something pulls us away from him, something draws us closer to God. And every day we respond to that journey in our in our spiritual lives with Jesus. So when you've prayed for today's bread, when you pray, give us this day our daily bread, can you be totally satisfied with what comes your way? God's answer is in Matthew 6, verses 33, when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all things will be added to you. So will you now be content? Moreover, will you be grateful? Your needs are personal to you. God, through his prayer, desires to hear them. And through his promise, to satisfy. The test of our faith is to believe that when we pray this petition, we will be satisfied.
Finally, I want to talk about how useful this prayer is. For me, I have no discipline left in my life. No has taken that away. My new job has taken that away. But this petition, this daily bread, this bread for us, is a real way of bringing our dependence back to God and understanding our need for him. The more we pray, the closer we get to God. The closer we get to God, the less we need to do it ourselves. When we don't do it ourselves, we do it God's way. And when we do it God's way, we further God's kingdom. Perhaps in our Western society, our needs do not seem overly desperate. There's a stark difference in our lives to the lives of the people that this prayer was, was given to. You only have to go back to the Exodus and the Israelites to understand that manna was, was given to them daily. And that story is in Exodus 16. The Israelites were totally and absolutely dependent on God, one day at a time. The society in which this prayer originated was agrarian. And the threat of a failed crop and its consequences would have been very real. So is our dependence on God the same? Absolutely. But perhaps we have forgotten the reality of our existence. The need to bring dependence back to God. The more we try to do it ourselves the more we fail God. And finally, this petition is given to us as a Christian community. So if we concede that we are seeking God's will and that we want it to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we can't possibly conclude that this petition concerns only ourselves. It concerns everyone. This prayer is for us, and the us is deliberate. Give us today our daily bread. It's a daily petition for daily needs. It's a prayer that unites us as Christians, and it anchors earth with heaven. When we pray for bread, we share bread. So today we pray so that we don't need to worry about tomorrow. What are you going to pray for? How are you going to discipline yourself into prayer and make that prayer relevant to you, your needs, God, and the needs of the people around you? And don't just involve yourself. Involve your Christian brothers and sisters. Amen.